Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Have you guys ever missed a meeting that was a really important meeting that you missed? Anybody like miss a really important meeting? We've all kind of had that experience, right? Um, Let me tell you about the time that I forgot someone's wedding, okay? Um, I've probably officiated, um, I think I've counted over 250 weddings and um, and I haven't forgot any of them except for one. And here's how it happened. It was a Saturday and we had a great uh, morning out with our family and we were, we went to somebody's house and that, that they lived on a lake. And so we were like skipping rocks and, you know, just having like a really fun morning. And then our kids uh, needed to come home and get a nap. And so we brought the kids home. We just put the kids down for their nap. And it was about 1225, 1225. And I get this call and I don't remember, I don't recognize the number and it's a Saturday and normally like wouldn't maybe not answer, but I was like, I don't know. I just, in that moment, I felt like I'll answer. So I answer, hello. And she's like, um, yes, uh, Pastor Brooks, um, are you close? I was like, um, is this a trick question? Like, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Who is this? Well, you know, um, we're all lined up, the bridesmaids, you know, like, like everyone's lined up, everyone's seated. Are you, any, are you anywhere close? <laughs> and I, it all comes rushing, it all comes rushing to me that I was supposed to be at a wedding that started at noon and I am 20 minutes away still at my house. Guys, my wife will tell you, I have not freaked out like that ever in my life, probably. I got my suit on so quick, it was like, you would have thought I was Superman. I had that thing on so fast, and I raced to the wedding, and I got a lot of nasty stares from in-laws and bridesmaids and groomsmen and everyone at the wedding, and it was one of the most uncomfortable hours of my life. Um, I, uh, but I made it, but I made it, and they are married. They are married. Um, we're going to read, we're going to read a story from the scriptures about a guy who missed a really, really important engagement. His name is Thomas. And, um, he missed a really important moment with the risen Jesus. And as a result, he has been dubbed forever in all of Christendom, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, um, the most famous doubter in all of the Bible. And as we're going to look at tonight, it's a little bit unfair. It's a little bit unfair that Thomas got this, got this title. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't know much about the Bible, you, you, you hear the word Thomas and you immediately associate the word doubting with the name Thomas. Is, the, is doubting Thomas. Um, but we're going to dig into this story tonight, and we're going to kind of start into this adventure together over the next bunch of weeks um, to explore this topic of doubt to explore the topic of doubt. Now listen, healthy churches talk about doubt. Unhealthy churches don't talk about doubt. And you might've grew up in an unhealthy church where you weren't allowed to talk about your doubts. 
Maybe you grew up in an unhealthy church where you weren't even allowed to question anything at all. Because as we all know, as we, as we grew up, and maybe if you grew up in the church, maybe like I was, I was like, I was basically a Christian since the womb, all right? Like I just was born into this like Christian family and just from the earliest time I can remember where we were a part of church. And, um, but probably around middle school, high school, I start to have questions. And I'm like, wait, what about this? And what about this? And thankfully, thankfully, I was a part of a healthy church and I had healthy leaders around me that I could ask those questions. And they didn't look at me sideways, but they were, they were more than welcoming of those questions and they talk with me about them and, and we process them, to, them together. But maybe you didn't have that experience. Maybe you have had questions, maybe you've had doubts and you didn't know where to take those at all. Maybe you felt like you were in a context where you couldn't share those at all. And so maybe then you just held on to them and they just went underground and they festered and they grew. Um, And until you got to a place where they weren't just doubts anymore, now it was like this destructive force in your life. Um, So we're gonna spend some weeks talking about this and it's important because we've all had seasons of doubt. I've had seasons of doubt. Guys, I am a pastor, so I have invested a lot into into the idea that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross and he rose again. But I gotta be honest with you. I've had some, I've had some moments where I wake up in the morning and you're just pondering life and you're and I and I say this, I say, God, I really hope you rose from the dead. (laughs) I really hope, I really hope that this is all true. Um, otherwise, otherwise, I am a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a fool, you know? Um, I'm not alone in thinking that. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, even said something very similar to that. He said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then, we, then we, we should be pitied among all men. We've all gone through seasons of doubt. And so healthy churches talk about doubt. Healthy churches talk about questions. Healthy churches bring that stuff up so we can address it. Um, and what I want to, hopefully, what I, what I want to share with you over, the, over tonight and just the course of these, these next weeks is that doubt isn't necessarily a bad thing. Doubt is, can be a very important part of the faith journey. Um, doubt can be an important part, but doubt can also be destructive and doubt can also become dangerous when it becomes the point of your faith journey. Let me say that again, because I I think it's important that doubt questions should be a part of your faith journey, not the point of your faith journey. Um, Think of it like a road trip, okay? When you go on a road trip, you, you take some pit stops along the way, but the pit stop is not your destination. And so doubt is a little bit similar to that. The doubt is, is a part of all of our kind of process of faith, asking questions, thinking deeply, and even sometimes bumping up against things that you just don't feel like you have an adequate answer to. And that's all part of the journey, but you stay in the pit stop too long. You stay in the rest area too long. Now you become a little weird, like people who stay in rest areas a little bit too long, as we've all seen before. You don't stay in the rest area forever. No, 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 you, you, you stop there and you process and that's healthy, but it should never become the point of the journey. It can never be the destination. Um, and guys, we live, in, we live in a, well, doubt has always been, doubt has always been a, a part of faith, but we certainly now in 2021, we live in a culture, we live in a time where doubt is pervasive. 
where, the, where questioning authority structures over us it has become such a norm. It's become, it's become something that even if you don't question the authority structures around, then there's something strange about you in, in our culture. That's what, it's, that's what it's like. And more and more Christians are looking at the faith that they grew up with um, there, more and more Christians are looking at sort of the, some of the doctrines that they were taught, some of the ways of reading scripture, some of their church traditions that they were growing up with. And they are, so many Christians now are in this process of what, what's called deconstruction. Deconstruction. It's this idea that, that to be a real authentic person, that I can't, just ex- I can't just accept things. I have to take them apart. I have to deconstruct them. I have to just break them down. And that's the only way for me to be an authentic person. Now, listen to me. There are some things that you grow up with. There are some things that you believe about God right now. There are some things that I believe about God right now that need to be deconstructed. Deconstruction isn't necessarily a bad thing. There are some reading, kinds of readings of scripture that need to be deconstructed. There are some things that need to be deconstructed. However, however, um, the point of deconstructing is to what? The point of deconstructing is you find the parts that aren't built on a firm foundation. You find the parts that are really true and that might run against what you emotionally think is true because you can't make emo- emotional decisions about, about the truth because the truth is just the truth, no matter how you feel about it or not. And so the process of deconstruction should be to find what's actually true and then what? You find that foundation and then you reconstruct. You reconstruct, you build on that foundation. And let me say this, Christianity, true Christianity can handle that kind of deconstruction. Oh, it can. It can because there is a firm foundation. Christianity can handle that. Jesus can handle that because he is all about maybe taking some things away that we believe that, we, that aren't true, bringing us to the source and then rebuilding, rebuilding. However, um, so, so deconstruction is good. It can be good, but we live in a culture now where it is, it is um, a virtue to be an ever, always, continually deconstructing person who never actually reconstructs anything over the top of it. That's become actually very, very popular. So many Christian leaders, authors, bloggers, musicians, influencers um, have declared that they aren't Christians anymore. Just when you, sometimes you just open up the news and you see, oh, there's another one, there's another one. And it can be really, really confusing. It can be confusing because so many of us, uh, you've had some people maybe that you've looked up to, you've read their books, you've listened to their blog, you know, you've, you've read their stuff, you've listened to their music, and then you hear a headline, oh, they've stepped away from the faith. It can be really confusing. You know what else? Maybe you've had somebody who was instrumental in your development, somebody that discipled you, somebody that walked you through some steps to follow Jesus, maybe even somebody that led you to Jesus in the first place, and then you find out that they don't believe anymore, that they've left. How confusing is that? Or we look, we look at the headlines and we see Christians, famous Christians, and then we see some, we find out some things about their life and it doesn't seem like what they were doing with their life matches the convictions that they, that they had and it's, it's confusing. And it's just this swirling, swirling, just 
landscape that we're in right now of like, what can we actually trust in? Like, what can we actually believe? Um, And as I said earlier, we live in a time when it is cool. It is really cool to be a Christian who's in the, who's perpetually in the process of deconstruction. Here's a quote from um, Paula Reinhart. She says, doubt and disillusionment have become the new form of enlightenment. It somehow sounds more authentic to share our doubt than it is to share our faith with confidence. We watch thoughtful Christian leaders break free from the faith itself as though shaking off invisible shackles. Um, Nowadays, to be perpetually deconstructing has become the mark of humility and freedom and goodness. In older times, commitment was a virtue, but now a virtue, a virtue today is to be perpetually, perpetually cynical, perpetually cynical, always questioning. And that, everyone, can be a place of destruction and despair. And so we're going to spend some weeks talking about doubt. What does it mean to doubt? Can you doubt and not have your faith be destroyed? That's what we're going to explore. And what I hope we can do, and so, so uh, and this is kind of just like a big introduction tonight, but I don't know your story here, but you might be here and you are riddled with doubt. Maybe you even heard that we were doing this sermon series like this and you were like, well, maybe that'll be helpful. Then here's what I want to say to you. If you just feel like you're in a season right now of just questioning everything, you have so many questions, I want to say to you, welcome home. You are in the right place. You're in a great place. Jesus can handle your questions. So can we. This is a great place for us to just bring that out, talk about it. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, pastor? I got no doubts. I'm doubtless. Um, well, you might be a little bit, uh, I, I would wanna, I'd want you to bring in a little bit of humility into, into, your, into, into your world because there are definitely probably even parts of your theology, parts of what you believe about scripture that might not be completely accurate. And so would you have the humility to say, hey, there there's, might even be a part of my faith that needs a little healthy deconstruction so that it can be reconstructed again in the narrow way of Jesus. Or you might be someone here and you're feeling like, I don't know if I need this right now, but you know what I'd say to you? I'd say, you know five people that need this right now. And they might not ever come to church like this, but God has placed you in their life. God has placed you in a place where they might consider bringing their questions to you. And so I just wanna encourage you, even in this whole sermon series that we're in, is uh, don't just ask yourself, do I know this? I want you to ask yourself, can I share this? Can I... Can I have a robust, graceful, and truthful conversation with someone about this? That's what I, that's what I want to, I just want to help. I just want to help just peel back some layers so that we can look at this with fresh eyes. Um, back to Thomas. Um, we're going to read from John chapter 20. And this is really, this is the apostle John. John has been with Jesus. He knows Jesus. And John takes it under himself to write this account of Jesus' life. And this is the, really the climax of John's gospel. Um, this story of Thomas is the climax. There's, a, there's chapter 21 that comes after this, but really it's just like tying up some loose ends, you know, kind of like an after credit scene in a Marvel movie, you know, just tying up a few things. But really this is the climax of John's gospel. And John chose to put Thomas at the climax of his whole gospel story. 
There's so many stories you could have picked from, and he picked this one. So we're gonna read from it, and I hope it is helpful for you. The context is Jesus has been, uh, he died on the cross and he rose again, and there are these, there's these rumors. Jesus is alive, I saw him, you did not. I, I totally saw him, no way. And they're just like, there's, they can't believe it. But they're fearful still because they don't know if this is true. Maybe it's a lie, maybe it's a hoax. And they're worried that the Roman, maybe the Romans have like put out this, uh, this, this rumor to like draw them out, you know? So they're afraid. So they're hiding in a room. And they're, they're hiding in a room and Jesus, and the, and the scripture specifically, specifically says that the doors are locked and Jesus appears in the room. He appears in the room, a room with locked doors. And the disciples are so freaked out, apparently because Jesus's words, first words to them are peace, <laughs> be at peace, calm down, you know, it's me. And they get to spend this moment with Jesus where they get to, they, and they see his, the, the nail marks in his hands and the gash in his side. And I mean, what an incredible moment. And guess who isn't there? Thomas. Now, we're not told how, like, if Thomas came, you know, because uh, then Jesus left, he disappeared. And we don't know if Thomas came back, like, an hour later. But I, I kind of, because I, like, I'm a movie person, I kind of just picture this as a movie. And I picture, like, the disciples around Jesus, Jesus disappears. And then right then, like, jingle, 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 keys in the door. And Thomas comes in. He's like, guys, I got the Arby's because they got the meats, you know. Peter, I got you a fish sandwich. And like, uh, you know, like there's not any, uh, they, did, they were out of sweet and sour. <laughs> Guys, wait, did, some, did I miss something? <laughs> you know, I mean, I picture you just missed it. And then they're like, dude, you will not believe what you missed. And so they tell him what happened. And this is what the scripture says. Now, Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Um, I read a lot of commentaries about this and there's a lot of commentaries that call Thomas a lot of names. Um, Thomas is called unreasonable, obstinate, prejudiced, presumptuous, and insolent. And I just think those are unfair names for Thomas because I just feel like I can relate to Thomas. <laughs> Can't you? Do, you? do you feel like you could just feel where Thomas is at here? Of course he trusts his friends. Of course he wants to believe his friends, but something like that. I mean, your friends could tell you all day long, but there's just something where you're like, you know what? <laughs> if I don't see it for myself, I just don't feel like I can believe. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of uh, compassion for Thomas. And if you think about it, for about a week here, Thomas has to relate to the apostles like we always have to relate to the apostles. Because Thomas has to go on their eyewitness account for about a week, as we'll see in this, in this scripture. For about a week. Um, but, uh, but we relate to the apostles like Thomas did all the time. Because we have to rely on their eyewitness, on their eyewitness accounts. And so I feel like I can relate to Thomas in this, but do you know what I think was going on here? I think Thomas is, let's be honest. I think Thomas is a little bit hurt. I think he's a little bit hurt because he got left out. Have you ever showed up and like people are laughing at a joke and you're like, what was so funny? 
I missed it. And they're like, ah, you know, like, yeah, you just missed it. You just, you feel left out. And I feel like, I feel like Thomas isn't just dealing with doubt. I think he's dealing with disappointment. Let me say that again. Thomas isn't just dealing with doubt. I think he's dealing with some disappointment. He's disappointed that he wasn't there. He's disappointed. Like, Jesus, why couldn't have you just waited for me to show up with the Arby's? I would have gotten you some, you know? Like, Jesus, why, why, did, why did I get left out? And I think actually this is where a lot of doubt starts for most of us. You, you know, doubt usually doesn't start with like, you know what? I doubt because I studied the original languages and I doubt because I parsed out all the scripture and I doubt because, you know, like I, did, I read all the commentaries and I just don't believe now. It's usually not where doubt starts, if we're honest. Doubt usually starts with just our disappointments. God, why did you let that happen? God, I thought my life would look like this and, it, and it's not. God, what? And so, these and then so you, there's this deep disappointment and then I think that's fertile ground for just our doubts to start coming coming through. It's a good question to ask. Am I dealing with disappointment or am I dealing with doubt? We'll come back to that in weeks ahead. But what does Jesus do? Listen to what Jesus does. How does Jesus treat doubting Thomas? Here's what happens. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Thomas was with them. Just check this out. Two quick points. Number one, Thomas doesn't leave. I love this. In his doubt, Thomas doesn't leave. So one of the first things that happened when people doubt in church is they feel like if I can't share it or if I feel like if I do share it, people are gonna judge me. People aren't gonna wanna talk to me. And so what usually happens with doubt when people are start experiencing doubt, whether it's theological or whatever, is instead of staying with the community, they just find a couple other people that have the same doubts as them and they leave and they go. But notice that Thomas doesn't leave. He's right here. And then notice this too, is notice also that his community doesn't reject him. His community doesn't reject him. Thomas is like, I refuse to believe. And all the other apostles could have been like, oh man, you, like, you don't belong here. You don't have enough faith like us, like get out. Too often, sometimes churches push people with questions out. They push them out because the questions are too uncomfortable. Not sure what to do with that. And so we're just gonna push you out. Notice in this, I just love that both of those things are happening. Thomas doesn't leave. The community doesn't reject him. This is beautiful to me. So Thomas is there. It's a week later. Um, and uh, here's what happens. By the way, um, is doubt the same as unbelief? Think about it. Is doubt the same as unbelief? No, because doubt isn't necessarily a bad thing because doubt isn't the en enemy of faith because doubt can actually be fertile ground for faith to grow. Have you noticed that in your life? That if you eliminate doubt, if you eliminate all doubt, then really you also have to eliminate faith. Let me put it this way, is pretend you're waiting for a package from UPS and you're tracking it. It's coming from the other side of the country and you've got the app. Have you guys used the app, you know, where you can see where it's at? And so you pull up the app and it's like, oh, it's in Des Moines right now. All right, it's on its way. And what's operating right now is both faith and doubt at the same time. That you've got faith that it will arrive on time, but you also have doubts. Will it arrive on time? Will it be broken when it gets here? What if it gets delivered and it gets stolen off my porch before I can grab it? So you've got faith and doubt working all at the same time. 
Because this is how faith and doubt work. You, you, like they, the one is, is an important part of the other. But say that package gets delivered and you are there and you pick it up in your hands. Guess what? Now you have no more doubt. No more doubt because it is in your hands. But guess what you also don't have anymore? Faith. You don't need faith now because you have it now. It's in your hands. So faith and doubt, they kind of go together. That sometimes our doubts is just a springboard for us to just push us deeper, deeper into a life of faith. Here's what happens with Thomas. Though the doors were locked, this is the next verse. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The same thing he said earlier. And then this is what Jesus said to Thomas. Repent, you sinner. How dare you question me? Don't you know who I am? Okay, now those of you that know your Bible know that I'm lying to you right now, okay? That is not what the scripture says. That is a fallacy and a farce. Uh, that is not what Jesus says. But Jesus could have said that, couldn't he have? I mean, because, because in, a little, in a little way, like Thomas is, is acting a little bit like, like my five-year-old would when it comes to eating dinner. Like, no, I don't want to eat my dinner. I want a quesadilla, please, you know? Like, I don't, I don't, I just, I want, I want you to give me what I want. You know, Thomas is like kind of demanding that he, Jesus does something for him that he, do, that he shouldn't have to demand from the king of the universe. So Jesus could have showed up and said, repent. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you believe in me? But do you know what Jesus does? Listen. Jesus just makes himself completely available to Thomas. Completely available. Jesus just humbles himself. He just makes him available to Thomas. What does Jesus say? Here's the real scripture. He says, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love the, I love the tenderness here. I love just the availability here. Jesus is like, Thomas, I'm here. You've got doubts. I know you weren't here before, but here I am. There's a really famous painting uh, by Caravaggio. Put it up on the screen here. Um, from a long time ago. It's, it's a re very, very famous painting from the Renaissance. And this is Thomas. The, and uh, it's showing him putting his finger in Jesus' side. Now, a couple things about this famous, famous painting. Number one, Jesus wasn't a white European. Okay? <laughs> uh, number one. And number two... We're not actually told in the scripture if Thomas actually, actually did what Jesus invited him to do. We're not told in the scripture. But Jesus makes himself available and maybe, maybe Thomas did and, and poke and prod and, and look for himself. But it seems from the scripture that he doesn't even, he doesn't even need to, to put his finger anywhere. He doesn't need to touch at all. That Jesus is making himself available. And you know what Thomas says next is what a beautiful declaration. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. He's talking about us. It's really cool. He's saying, hey, blessed are those who who don't get to be, have this privileged place of being in this room where they get to stand with the risen Jesus and see his wounds and see him standing there. And then this is how it ends. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's the climax of John's gospel. And he put Thomas right in there because he knew that we would feel a lot like Thomas. Um, to close, I'll say this is, um, and band, why don't you guys come up just as I'm, I'm finishing here. Um, you might feel like you're in a room locked in your doubt. You might feel like you're in a room just kind of like locked in your doubts. But here's what I love about this story. Listen, listen, just listen to me. Hope comes through locked doors. Hope comes through locked doors. Jesus knows what doubts you have. Jesus knows what doubts you're going to have. And you know what he does to Thomas and you know what he does to you and to me? He just makes himself available. Here's the evidence. Come look. So we're going to start this adventure together over these, over, I don't even know how many weeks we're going to be talking about doubt until it feels right, <laughs> until it feels right. But we're going to tackle some, maybe all these topics, but maybe one of these, maybe just some of these topics. But I think these are some of the main reasons why people doubt. And we're going to look at them together because we're not afraid because healthy churches talk about doubt. A lot of people have doubts because of pain and suffering. They have doubts about the validity and trustworthiness of the Bible. They have doubts because they've heard that science and faith can't coexist. They have doubts because maybe they grew up with, ch with church weirdness. Uh, maybe, maybe they're frustrated because of overly politicized Christianity, biblical sexual ethics, end times hype, and issues of social justice. That's kind of where we're headed over these next weeks. We're gonna talk about how we, have, how we can have doubt and have our questions answered and not have our faith destroyed. Will you come with me on the journey? That's what we're gonna be doing for the next bunch of, bunch of weeks. Maybe invite somebody who needs to come because we're gonna tackle some of these things and it's gonna be, it's gonna be great.